from the creators who brought you RuPaul's Drag Race and Million Dollar Listing. This is World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's edition of the Wow Report, where we count down the top 10 topics of the week that made us go wow. wow. I'm Fender Bailey, co-founder of World of Wonder, joined by my teammates, my inspirations, my right-hand people, Tom Campbell, our Chief Creative Officer. Hello, hello. And a big welcome back to James St. James. You've been out for a couple of weeks. We're so glad you're, you're back I'm with so us. I'm so glad to be back. It's so nice to see you both. Let's just jump into the countdown, number 10. Number 10. You guys, I warned you about this, and I went and I did it, and I had the time of my life. I saw Abba Voyager. Oh, oh, I am so excited about this. I am so excited. Please, yes. In London, as you know, I'm over here in the UK. We're shooting a little something. and But we have weekends off. We've been here for many years. Weekends off and, you know, COVID. You can can roam the world again. So uh, Michelle Visage and her dear, dear friend Anna arrange for VIP tickets to Abba Voyager, which is a hologram concert of ABBA as they appeared in the late 70s. And the entire theater has been built and designed. It's kind of where the Olympics took place. It's that East London area, uh, Fenton, where we were. The the Olympic Stadium was. The O2. Yes. No, no, no. It's down in East London near where we shot the first season of Drag Race. Um, I know what you mean. (laughs) And I was hoping you could give me a neighborhood. I have no idea. So um, we arrive. We drove up. We are brought to this holding room, you know, on a matinee. So they're, they're doing two shows in the same day. Okay, they're, they're computers. But um, we were, were, they had all these lines of T-shirts and hoodies and albums. It is a cult there. Everyone who works there is so happy to be there. And they, like, tell you what's going to happen without telling you and teasing you. They said you can take one of the merch. As Americans, we just cleared the whole table and put it into our bags. Um, and oh, then... Yeah. You watch them and they rock. You can't take any pictures. So it's, it's all in your imagination and it's relentlessly. Wait a minute. minute, minute. Is that, is that because if you take a picture of a hologram, it doesn't come out. Is it technical or, or they just don't want you to ruin it. They don't want you to. Okay. I think you could, but the, 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 the ABBA, they rise from the floor. And people go insane. There's a huge, huge, the floor is all people dancing. And then there's seats where we were in all the way up. And um, there are so many white people waving their hands above their heads the entire, like I've never seen more white hands. And Uh, it's it's better than more more white hands than the Neil Diamond concert. (laughs) Exactly. And at first I felt like there's nobody up there. We're looking at computer-generated things. The music's great. They have a live band, you know, playing the instrumentation. They do it, but it wins you over. And then the next thing you know, there's huge screens and panels that are showing you exactly what they're doing on the stage. But it's it's like if there was a camera this close to my face and you could see it up behind me, which you can't really do in real life because you see the camera. And they did all the hits. There were some animated bits there it's just it's relentless the, the album music is so good their their sound is their their voices are so beautiful they talk to us which is a little bit creepy but the fact that they're not dead makes the whole thing a little bit more palatable anyway questions okay. questions from the audience what what was the um vip experience like like what did you get that what that other people didn't get we were just in this room we had free beverages plus a um we we got a uh, hold on like this Reusable Abba Voyage bottle. You know, Ooh. you can't. No, no, you can't one of those. So wait, you got you got a water bottle, and you could go to the bathroom. And we got hoodies and t-shirts, and they were all so cute. We just we were horrible. We couldn't stop. I have a question. How did it win you over? Because I'm with you. Like we know it's a hologram, and there must be some sort of uncanny valley thing of like, oh, this isn't quite real. Like those rides now that are so popular at theme parks, where you don't actually go anywhere. It's all screen projections. Yes, and you just feel slightly sick. So how did this win you over? Part of it's the ABBA. ABBA, We were talking afterwards, like, what other band could get away with this? And there's something about ABBA who are so popular all over the world, but especially in England. 
and you don't know much about them. You know, they don't talk that much. So just them as an image is quite powerful. But once they get away from, you, you don't spend all your time looking at them on stage. You see them on the screen. They look a little bit Shrekky, just a tiny, tiny bit Shrekky. But, but um, their music is there. It's emotional that way. They, they put on a good visual show. It's kind of like a sing-along at the Hollywood Bowl to like, you know, Sound of Music meets a hologram show meets video footage. They also showed like uh, at one point they show their uh, Eurovision performance, you know, uh, as clips. So it is, it's like seeing them in concert if they had been de-aged uh, as Tom Hanks and uh, what's her face are going to be in the new Robert Zemeckis movie. So, so what you're it. saying is it's a better experience than the hologram theater next to world of wonder showing Billy holiday was. Well, see, uh, I think seeing dead people's creepy. But I see thinking ABBA and being able to, the very end, this is my, I'm going to spoil if you care. At the very end, they come out, the ABBA, you know, holograms come out and bow at the end of the thing. It's fabulous. Oh, the other thing is the fabric of their clothes, the sequins, the flow, the best part of the CGI. They have fabric down. But then the very, very end, images of ABBA today come out. So it's like you've seen them young the whole time. And then they come out and they wave one more time after you've heard the winner takes it all and you weep and you weep and you stuff more ABBA t-shirts into your jacket and you weep. We're supposed to move on, but I just have a question because to me, I am slightly underwhelmed. I just, and if you are not an ABBA super fan, are you going to have the same experience as Tom Campbell? I don't think I'm a super fan. I think I'm a fan because you should be. Stop it. Stop it. If when, you didn't have the VIP experience, would you be slightly underwhelmed? The VIP experience was was lovely, if you but the yes, water bottle. Would you walk away is 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 impressed? I just I'm, I I get VIP experiences so little. I just am very excited about anything I get. Um, I think it is fun. If you're in London, it's a unique thing. There's nothing like it, and it's like I said, it's a combination of like a fan concert, a, a, a convention, a, a sing along. It's like it, and the music is really compelling i think and to hear it in its totality it's kind of amazing right well that's abba voyage uh tickets uh at the abba arena in london available they start at 21 pounds you can get a dance booth for 143 pounds and uh all right go and wave your white hands righty 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 let's move on to number nine james number nine Marcel the Shell with shoes on. I watched it on the plane. It's a movie that's out. It's, it's gotten all sorts of Academy Award nominations. Um, dear God in heaven, I can't believe it took me this long to jump on the Marcel the Shell with shoes on it bandwagon. Um, it's a live action stop movie, docu-ish, documentary setup type thing, where he, um, it, Dean Flesher Camp, moves to an Airbnb where he discovers a one-inch talking shell, Marcel, living with his grandmother and his um, uh, pet ball of lint, okay? And uh, we follow Marcel around as he um, goes about his typical day and talks about his life and how um, he is looking for his family who are missing. And I laughed out loud on the plane. I belly laughed. I cried on the plane, sobbing, real tears. Um, Jenny Slate deserves an Oscar. I wish they had Oscars for voiceover and, you know, for an animation. She's so good. Isabella Rossellini is the mother. Um, Leslie Stahl comes on 60 Minutes. They worship Leslie Stahl. They, they, find, they think the, the grandmothers, Shell and Marcel, are obsessed with Leslie Stahl. She comes on. I'm obsessed with Leslie Stahl. The whole thing is so charming and poignant and powerful. It's this meditation on family and, and you know, life. And is, has anyone seen it? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Do you know anything about it? I've not seen it, James, but I can tell you that. Jenny Slate, um, she is has an Oscar nomination because well, she's the producer, producer. producer and for and, animation, but I wish right. her voice. She's producer her, and co-creator, and it's nominated for the best feature film of 2023. Best, oh, it is best feature film and mm. best animated. I mean, best animated. Great. I'm sorry, right? Oh, 
but yeah. her, her voice her voiceover work is absolutely amazing. And I think I think um both Nolan and Elliot would really get a kick out of it. I, I think it really is a family movie that you can watch together and really bond over with. I saw the like, trailer, which intrigued me, but you're reminding me, so thank you. And I, I might be uh hallucinating this, but I feel like there was maybe a sixty minute piece for Leslie Stahl. There, well, well it, it was. The the whole thing is about, you know, they 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 worship Leslie Stahl. She comes on, she's intrigued by the idea of this talking shell they do it in a 60 minute piece to help find the family and then they air the 60 minute piece on the documentary as well and leslie style is just brilliant who plays the lint i'm just curious i i don't know i mean there there's a, in the end when they find the family there's a lot of voiceover that people voices that you were that you recognize and everything blake have you seen this i haven't seen it but i was just looking at um did you justin in the film do you know who that was? No, who? Uh, well, it was played by Nathan Fielder, which I've kind of just discovered. Me and my roommate have been watching Nathan for You on the comedy channel. Oh, comedy. sure, yeah. It is so hilarious and just stupid, dumb, but smart too. Like, right, hilarious. And yep. then he had a newer show, the Rian. That was oh. that crazy show where people come in and they reenact James. You saw the, people come rehearsal in or something. The rehearsal, the rehearsal. Oh right, right. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So I love him. Well, listen. I honestly, I want all of you to watch it before the Academy Awards because it is so brilliant and so like, like I said, literally just sobbing, happy sobbing on the plane, just <laughs> and just like ah! everyone turning and watching me for five rows. Now, is it up for this year or it is? This year? Yeah, it, it, because of the pandemic and everything, it, it was it came, it was made in 2021, but it, it took first it animated time. feature at the Oscars. All um, right. And the Oscars, by the way, are airing on Sunday, March 12th at 8 p.m. Eastern. 5 wow, PM. that's a fast turnaround, isn't it? From, from right. nominations to coming out, yeah, yeah. And perfect segue for my number eight. Number eight, Oscar Wars is the title of a new book coming from Michael Shulman. Now, it's kind of like a history of the Oscars. It's coming out in about a week. Um, uh, But the reason I even know that the book exists or is coming out is because fascinating article in the New Yorker about Robert Opal. And this, of course, was the man who 49 years ago on the Oscars, 49 years ago, streaked across the screen (laughs) as David Niven was introducing Elizabeth Taylor. And um, I guess... What was the the famous line that he said when he... I'm going to read you the whole thing. He said, well, ladies and gentlemen, that was almost bound to happen. But isn't it fascinating to think that probably the only laugh that man will ever get in his life is by stripping off and showing his shortcomings. Well, now, wait a minute. As funny as that is, I've honestly, in the past few years, come to believe that the whole thing was staged. Well, and that they, they hired they hired a streaker and that the, they, they had written the line before they even found the streaker. I understand that conspiracy theory because it is a perfectly written line and it's yes. not, I mean, I know that I am certainly no good at spontaneous stuff, but like that is an elaborate moment of spontaneity that is yes. like articulate and he was right in the sense that it was bound to happen because streaking was the fad of the moment. Here, I mean, here comes it, the streak. Ethel, put your clothes back on. <laughs> look at him. Look at him. Um, but then this story, this story in the New Yorker, is all about Robert Opal, who was a fascinating guy. Um, needless to say, after the streaking, Alan Carr hired him to uh, host or, or appear at a party he was throwing for Rudolf Nureyev, and he appeared just wearing a tie around his neck and a and a collar, but he had trained. Um, he had trained in linguistics, joined the Peace Corps, and was going to go off to Thailand to teach teach English. And the Peace Corps said, "Oh no, no, no! Um, we're not going to send you because you don't get on well with others." And of course, in those days, the whole idea was you're gay. So it, there was a whole sort of pre coming out you don't get era along with others is a euphemism for you're gay. Is that what you're saying? I'm afraid. Yeah, yeah. I no, mean, it, I you know you remember James. You remember. Um, the 70s how dare you i was four and he as an encore he streaked at the, at the city hall in san francisco to protest a, a ban on nudity he was sent to prison for four months he then founded the nude lib party and made a bid for president 
sort of around the same time uh, Linda Lovelace was making her bid for president. And he said the whole thing, he said, undress goes far beyond simply urging one to remove the clothes. It's a visual statement of innocence, an external sign of one's intent to exorcise hypocrisy, and very important in the journey of becoming totally self-actualized. So... Yeah, the well, thing going he's, on. Interesting, he's still around. He, he's, he's, well, he's not. Because oh. what happened was, he then moved to San Francisco. He opened a gallery called Fay Way Studios. And he was definitely a pioneer in, in exhibiting gay work. And his first show, in fact, included Robert Mablethorpe, who wasn't famous now. at that time. He Whatever became, happened to Fay Way? He became friends of Harvey Milk. And if you remember, that's what's so fascinating about this article, because Anita Bryant, you know, came in Florida, the orange juice woman campaigning against the gays. She inspired a big anti-gay backlash, which was sort of connected to the assassination of Harvey Milk, which happened just a few weeks after the Jonestown massacre in Guyana. I don't remember that. I don't remember that being part of the same timeline. Yeah, it's all part of the same thing. And you were four. <laughs> we know James was reading the New Yorker at four. He was very. Uh, uh, <laughs> he was writing that. for the New Yorker at four. <laughs> <laughs> and so he, the, Robert Apple was very, very vehement against Dan White, who was the guy who shot Harvey Milk and used the Twinkie defense. And Robert Opal staged a sort of mock execution of Dan White. And this arguably perhaps inspired someone who then murdered him in his gallery just a few weeks later. So Robert is no longer with us, but led an extraordinary life. And this is just a fascinating, fascinating story. Well, I I think there's more than an article there. I think there's a documentary that should be made. It's a six-part Netflix series without. Oh, okay. I think it's a movie starring Channing Tatum as a stri- as the as the streaker. The um, uh, my one little footnote. I believe when Elizabeth Taylor came on stage, I believe her line was, "Well, that's a tough act to follow." <laughs> <laughs> that's really good. All right, so the uh, yeah, the Oscars will be shown March twelfth, and you know, you never know when there's going to be some kind of amazing, memeable, memorable moment, you know? And that was one of them. Let's take a break. Um, Drag Race Belgique premieres February 16th on Wow Presents Plus worldwide, excluding Belgium, um, wowpresentsplus.com. So head on over there to meet the queens. Go to the Wow Report to meet the queens. Blake, do you have a question? Sure. This is our first show of February. February is the only month of the year that can go without a full moon. But when a full moon does occur in February, what is it called? All right. We'll have the answer right after the break here on The Wow Report on Radio Andy. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to The Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with Tom and James and Blake. We're counting down the top 10 things that made us go wow. Blake, you had a question. I did. February, which we've just entered, is the only month of the year that can go without a full moon. But when a full moon does occur in in February, what is it called? I'm going to have to say a blue moon, which inspires the phrase, it happened once in a blue moon. Uh, good guess. I'm going to say Lover's Moon because it's Valentine's. Oh. What the Valentine's? I don't know. It's called a snow moon. What? No. Yeah. I've never heard of a snow moon before. <laughs> Liar! I guess because it's in winter still. Snow moon. <laughs> I saw you standing there. Counting down. We've reached number seven. Tom. Number seven. Okay, picture this. It's Monday morning. I'm on different time zone than you guys are. Hash Linda Ronstadt is trending on Twitter. I panic. Oh, you must have woken up and just had a heart on. You must have just I panicked. out of your mind. Linda might have passed. In fact, it's not what happened. A song of hers was featured in an episode of the hugely popular, who knew, HBO series, the last of us and it went viral not only and, and there's some statistic that between 11 p.m and 12 midnight on sunday 
East Coast Time, Long, Long Time by Linda Rossa, a song she recorded in 1970. Uh, the streaming went up 4,900%. Which, how does that even, 100, how does that even work? I never understand these things. I'm just giving, I just, I don't figure out math. I just quote it. I use it to my, my, my benefit, like all numbers. Um, are you guys familiar with the TV series, The Last of Us? I am, yes. And I had not heard of it. It's based on a video game. It's everything at its face. It's everything I won't watch on television. Zombies, video game, lots of random murder that's excused because they're zombies. Um, So, but there was, and some of my office told me, but there was a scene, everyone's talking about this, but there, this was sort of a capsule episode. It's, it's, it's the, the major story is there's this, hero guy who goes through a lot it's it's 2003 america's had this incredible like uh virus that's turned people essentially into zombies and he is with ends up championing this 14 year old girl who's been bitten by the zombies but hasn't converted which means she might be the cure and they're traveling across the country that's the the epic story um and they were on this episode they were it was an hour and 22 minute episode like a little feature film and that those two characters the guy and the girl are going through 2023 decimated America looking for supplies and things are in a neighborhood he used to be in. He wants to go see his friend, I think Frank or something. And they go to that house and they flash back 20 years to when the people were abducted, when just innocent people were abducted by the government, they were killed because then they wouldn't get affected. And this one guy played by what's his name? The Murray Bartlett. Who's McCall's wife? Nick Offerman. Nick Dan Offerman. Offerman. Yes. From, Offerman from Parks and Recreation, who was married to Megan Mullally. Yes. In real life. He is plays the survivalist, this bearded survivalist, who stays hidden in his house in two sub-basements when the government you know, takes everybody off and kills them. And he builds basically a, a wall and traps and intricate and living in his old mother's beautiful house, eating food. He has food. He's he's figured out how to live on his own and survive. You see like zombies coming through like his traps and being set on fire. And he just sits there and watches on closed circuit TV. Well, one day, this is not the important part. One day, um, what's the guy, what's the other guy's name? Murray Bartlett from White Lotus. Murray Bartlett, the most handsome Murray Bartlett, falls into one of his traps. He goes out to finish him, finds out that he's not infected. And then they, and, and, and they talk and he's like, because I just, I'm going to Boston. If you just let me, you know, take a shower, have a bite to eat and I'll move on. And he's like, reluctantly he does. Long story short, they're both gay and they fall for each other. So you have this survivalist who has built a wall around his world to keep people out and one still finds him and comes to him. And it's about their relationship, sort of a middle-aged gay relationship over 20 years. And that's where I'll let it unfold, but it's beautiful. They bond over the song Long, Long Time. So when it plays in the final frames... Linda Ronstadt song, yes. They, they both have a everyone love with Ronstadt. So it's basically if Tom falls in love with a survival, uh, uh, with a Y2 <laughs> prepper, and, and they both, and it, it's the Tom story. It's Tom's it's, fantasy, basically. He's a white-haired, white-bearded old <laughs> queen who has built walls around him his entire life and finally <laughs> lets someone in, bonding over their love of Linda Ronstadt. Basically. I hadn't put those two things together. Thank you so much, yes, it, is, it is the Tom. I, I was about if, to say, there's hope for me. I was like, the wolves. Well, you are the Murray Bartlett character, Fenton, mm. basically, is what we're... If Tom and Fenton were to fall in love, let, let go of all of their, their bad... You had Tom until this point, and Tom was like, no, no, no. Now that I've seen this, I'm open to love. I will just say what makes it so remarkable, um, two things, and quickly, I know we have to wrap, is, is you just realize what a dearth of romantic stories that exist for two middle-aged gay guys and so it's such a rarity to see to see it and and in this context where those characters i don't think will ever return it was just about this little moment which is why i love series i love streaming i love taking random turns this is why limited series are more exciting than movies to me um and the crazy thing is and i think love has won but a lot of people were afraid about the um the controversy that 
this was uh, these were very minor characters in the game and then well, making them well, gay. Well, let me address that very quickly because in the game what happens is you very quickly pass this house and you see two old men living together and it never says are these two characters gay. You just it's, it's something that happens it's a blip in the video game and they chose to make this into a standoff one alone episode in which we explore their thing and the straight people watching the show the homophobes are going banana how dare you you've ruined the show you made me spend an hour and a half watching two queens kiss each other disgusting 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 i do want to say I do want to say that Nick Offerman is completely going to get his Emmy Award. For, I mean, it's absolutely brilliant. It is, like you said, it is this gentle moment in this very violent, violent show that, where they, they just take you away and you spend an hour and a half watching two old men grow old with each other. It is, I, you will cry. It is one of the most beautiful moments on television. Fenton is dying to say something. Go. I, well, I just want to ask a question. So is that the end of The Last of Us? Is it done? or the more No, 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 no. It's, this is episode three. We are only oh. three episodes well, into the series. Because Nolan and I watched the first episode, which was like the feature length episode. And, and Nolan was like, I don't know if I can watch this. It's like, it's, it's, it's very dark. It's very HBO. It's very violent. And so well, and, I, I don't know if I'm going to I don't know if I'm going to continue that first episode mm-hmm. when you you fall in love with that girl so much. And then she, spoiler alert, she dies at the end and you think, well, I don't want to go on without this girl. It is hard. But Nick Offerman, I'm sorry, I kept saying his name wrong. Nick Offerman will get an Emmy and Fenton just watch and Everyone listening, okay. just watch episode three. Do yourself a favor. Yeah, shout so out you, to don't, you, don't have to continue. You, you do not have to continue with this show, but episode three is a must watch. I know we've got to move on, but I just want to say I love a zombie movie when the zombie thing is happening, when they're taking over. Always when a plane crashes out of the sky, I'm like, yes, I'm there. It's like, because it, that's what always happens, right? The zombies arrive, take over, and planes fall from the sky and that it, there's it, one of those there's one of those in this one and i just have to shout out my friend carolyn strauss who once again yeah. is an executive producer of once again a pivotal piece she, of tell i had no idea that she was part Tom, of it. she needs multiple lifetime achievement awards like she's right. nailed it again and again and like game of thrones but um what else um sopranos well, wait a minute, I, I, City, hold on, yeah. I, I just want to say, I just want to say, Fenton, I want you to, you don't have to watch the series, but you have to give episode three. You just have to, you, right, you, you right. just, it's just fantastic. Okay. okay, putting my foot down, moving on, number six, James. Number six. Oh, is that me? It is. Oh, oh, <laughs> yeah, I forgot we were, I thought we'd finished the show. I thought I was ready to go. I was, I like, I was finished. <laughs> anyway, um, Poker Face on Peacock which I, I want to say that Peacock is really stepping up to the plate and is becoming a major player in the streaming wars. Uh, this is Natasha Lyonne, who it, we love. She's a wow liberty from way, way back. This is her tour de force. This is his, her, her Emmy win for sure. She is. She's absolutely spectacular. She plays a Columbo-like detective. She um, uh, has a bullshit detector she works as a a, um in a vegas casino she's a waitress but she has this bullshit detector where she has a sixth sense where she can tell if someone is lying she just knows it's like it's like it's a weird it's a superpower okay and she the first episode um is adrian brody as the casino owner's son and benjamin brett who is the casino security and natasha leone her best friend is a fellow waitress and she is murdered and she goes to Adrian Brody with she has some some she has some clues as to what's really going on, and she starts to fall into this mystery of who killed the who killed her best friend at work. And uh, I'm going to give the spoiler because it's just the first episode. When she figures it out, it, she has to go on the run, okay? Because the studio boss is after her for 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 figuring this out. So she's on the run. So basically the show is Columbo meets the fugitive, right? Where Benjamin Bratt is if there's someone searching for it's it's like the the, um, the incredible Hulk. Remember how David Banner was accused for a crime he did not commit and has to go on the run. It's Columbo meets these great 70s shows. And 
the cast is spectacular. When I tell you that um, Adrian Brody, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Chloe Sevigny, of course, Natasha's best friend in real life, Judith Light, um, Ellen Barkin, uh, uh, That's Clea amazing Duvall. cast. Amazing cast. Great cast. Every week she has to solve a murder while she's on the run. Um, uh, like I said, Natasha is absolutely fascinating. Um, uh, has she been on Drag Race? Have you had her as a judge on Drag Race? Yes. And she yes. was also a, she was portrayed, uh, I think someone did her in a Snatch game as well. Oh, oh, that's funny. Yes. Quick but, question. Is it indeed sent, set in the 1970s? No, it, it, well, I don't think so. Maybe. Someone said it was set in the past because that way they don't have to deal with like cell phones and stuff. Am I wrong about that? That would is make it... sense because she's wearing, she has a great 70s outfit and her car is very 70s. So I guess maybe it is the 1970s. Oh, and I guess everybody's outfits are, I didn't even put it together. Uh, I thought You're it was such an eclectic dresser, James, that to you it's just like they have fashion. <laughs> it, it is. I thought everyone was just being a hipster wearing 70s thrift store clothes. That's hysterical. Okay, yes. Because the, the private detective, the private eye, genre is kind of ruined a lot by csi and cell phones and cameras now so i love that they went back and can sort of tell those stories it is it is but when i say that if you if you're a colombo fan tom that this is because she is absolutely she's doing a colombo impersonation she's so funny and then rue has always been a fan of hasn't he of those 70s like detective shows and it's been a, a genre that's sort of neglected i suppose partly because that sort of pi thing is basically gone you know it, it is a yeah. it is a uh, hold up but if you if you like murder she wrote if you like colombo if you like charlie's angels uh, if you like any of those things charlie's angels exactly yeah awesome all right that is streaming on peacock number five number five i'm gonna go back to the oscar nominations nominated for best song uh this year it's uh an entry from india it is a movie called R R R. That's three R's. And oh my God, this movie should have been nominated for Best Feature Film, um, whether foreign or whatever. It is so stunning. It is actually it is the most expensive movie ever made in India, uh, a budget of only $72 million. And when you watch this three-hour epic, you just cannot, it is the most visual. I'm I'm someone who doesn't really like violence in movies, but the violence in it is so balletic. It's so not Tarantino because Tarantino is really violent, but it is cartoony, you know, Tarantino. But this is like violence as ballet and the set pieces are just so stunning. Anyway, the story, it's set in Raj, India. So the British are the evil, evil, evil people. And it's the story of two people who meet and form a very intense platonic bond and they un- well they don't unite that they they sort of unite to fight the raj but they're actually on different missions and they don't they're keeping secrets from each other so they unite then they fight then they unite again it's a sprawling epic visual extravaganza um and it's just so good i mean tom you were talking about you know what's so good about streaming is that it's been able to break the tyranny of the narrative. And I feel that that's, you know, a problem with a lot of the Oscar movies this year is that they're just laboring under this narrative form and they just can't get rid of it. Well, RRR is just blows it all to smithereens. There's graphics in the middle of it. There's musical numbers all over the place. It's, it's neither fish nor fowl, but just incredibly beautiful and satisfying. And the story, you know, the story is the story, but essentially the evil Raj um, the viceroy, I guess, his wife decides she wants a little daughter from the village because she paints henna on the hands. And, and they basically just take her away from her family. And this is the sort of inciting incident that leads these two to begin the fight that will ultimately lead to the end of the British Empire in India. And I, you, the British are so evil. I mean, just well, I mean, you, you know. all are. I mean, there's just no way around it. I just had to give you that, James. It's true. And the song "Natu Natu" it actually won the Golden Globes, won best um, best original song at the Golden Globes, and it is this 
unbelievable. They, they, they go to this sort of empire party, which is all posh, and, you know, and then they do this dance number that is just like epic on top of epic on top of epic. It's just, it's really good. And funny enough, even though a lot of the film was filmed in India, this particular sequence was filmed in Kiev, in a front of a palace oh, in the yeah. Ukraine, in Kiev. Oh, but yeah. if you haven't seen it, do check it out. It's actually uh, streaming on Netflix, which is kind of funny because I just get all these like emails about Academy this, Academy that from Netflix. And I don't think I've ever gotten one for, one of them, one email from them about RRR. But it's oh, really... you, you say it's three hours, though. That does sound like it's a, it's a commitment. It is a commitment, but no more than watching The, the, the Last of Us, really. So, okay. okay. There you go. I can't recommend enough. Oh, wait. We'll take a quick break. Brand new on Wow Presents Plus, Carrie Kaz. All eight episodes available to binge. Uh, she, of course, is the standout queen from uh, Drag Race Season 14. Be Carrie Car- Colby. Be Carrie Colby. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carrie cares. That's exactly right. Thank you. And she says secrets to living her best life. Hmm. Sounds unmissable. Um, when we come back. Oh, yeah, wait, Blake, you got a question, right? I do. When's the next leap year? <sighs> when is the next? What is a leap year? Could you remind me? Leap year is every four years. There is an extra day in February. Yeah. There's oh, 29 no. days instead of 28. Okay. Mark your calendars. It is. We'll have the answer right after the break here on the Wow Report. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to the Wow Report. Fenton here with James and Tom and Blake with the answer to a teasing question. Yep. When's the next leap year, guys? Well, I I know this. It's 2067. It's 2024 because it's every, it has to be divisible by four. Okay. That's right, Tom. It's next year. Mark your calendars. Can I just forget, remind you guys, I was the smartest person in my grammar school. Anything but like before sixth grade, I've been here. Wait a minute. You haven't, you haven't had a moment since grammar school? <laughs> that was before the accident. I peaked in sixth grade. Is that a big deal? Well, amazing that you remember anything from that time. <laughs> All right, we've reached number four. Number four. Um, this is uh, often our rest in perfection segment, and it will be again this week. Barrett Strong. Does the name ring a bell? You don't, may not know his name, but you remember his music. Barrett Strong had Motown's first number one hit, a little song called Money, That's What I Want. Oh. The best oh. things in life are free which went on to be recorded, not only the first Motown hit, the Beatles recorded it. You know, what was it, What was that um, new wave band? The Flying Lizards. That's how yes. I know the song. That, I learned it there first, too. Um, just an epic song, so raw and real. Yeah, I didn't know the Beatles recorded or did a Flying Lizards cover. <laughs> well, <laughs> sort of. And then there was some controversy because he wanted writing credit on it and didn't get it. And Barry Gordy, it's Barry Gordy wrote the song, but he stayed at Motown. He didn't have much more success as a solo artist, but he produced and wrote some songs you may have heard of. I heard it through the grapevine. Oh, wow. From Reverend Gay. Um, A lot of the stuff for The Temptations. Um, uh, um, I Can't Get Next to You, which is one of the best songs. I can't get next to you, babe. I can't get next to you. uh, I uh, I wish it would rain, which is one of the most oh, beautiful songs. How about just my imagination running away with just me? My imagination. How about a song called "Papa Was a Rolling Stone"? Ever heard Papa of it? Papa was a rolling stone. Nah, nah, nah. Psychedelic Shack. I mean, it goes on and on. I'm just barely. Psychedelic Love Shack. I don't know that one. But think about the impact those songs. How many times you've heard those songs? Danced to those songs? Heard them covered? And the last one, which is really an amazing song, is the song War that was uh, ultimately hey, recorded by Edward Starr. what Star. is it good for? Absolutely, Absolutely nothing. Say it, Say it again. He, was, he had lost a friend to Viet- in Vietnam, and he wrote that song, which was later recorded by Bruce Springsteen. Oh, my God. Anyway, Barrett Strong, 
not giving enough time or running out of time, but, you know, go to uh, your Spotify's and listen to those songs written, direct, uh, produced, and in some uh, cases performed by Barrett Strong. and So he did, he he produced them, but he also wrote them, right? That's. Yes. And and Money Too, which he didn't get a writing credit for, but he wrote it. Yes, he says he created the piano money If you've got all those other songs, sounds like he did okay for himself. Rest in Perfection, Barrett Strong. Number three, James. Number three. Number three, very quickly, I want to just talk about the state of the state on SNL season 48. I have been watching this season trying to, they're trying, it's, it's, it's sort of a rebuilding season. They're trying to get their foothold again after they lost Cecily Strong, uh, A.D. Bryant, uh, Kate McKinnon, Pete Davison, Kyle Mooney, and Melissa Villasenor last season. They're trying to see who their big powerhouse performances performers are right now. And they're trying to make Mikey Day, Bowen Yang, and Heidi Gardner, and, and a little bit Chloe Feynman too. But I don't know that any of them really have become the powerhouses. Bowen Yang, of course, it, we all know he's bound to be the breakout star. But he still hasn't gone beyond doing these like quirky gay roles that like, they're, they're funny, but they haven't really taken a like. He's, he's funnier outside of SNL than he's actually been on SNL. They've had some amazing guests this season. Aubrey Plaza, Michael B. King, Austin Butler, Kiki Palmer, Steve um, Steve Martin, and Jack Harlow. But they also had this the episode with, with Dave, Shaker, uh, Dave Chappelle. And so it's sort of been a mixed bag a little bit. Um, I do want to say that Sarah Sherman, who is their quirky... Um, uh, I, I don't know. She's she's a little too quirky for the show. Do you love Sarah Pete? I mean, she's kind of annoying, but then sometimes I think she's funny on the the weekend update with Colin. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I do want to say the Andrew Jismukes, who they're trying to make into a huge star, there's something really unlikable about him, and I can't put my finger on it. He's done he's done some uh, weekend updates where he's sort of tried to be himself, and the more he's himself and not characters, there's just something about him that's a little creepy. I don't know. There is Devin Walker, who is the 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 black he's a black kid he's got a goofy smile and he's got this bde this big dick energy that reminds you of pete davison he i think is a breakout but he hasn't really had much to do but he's really something does anyone else been watching this season i have we when you were away we talked about i I thought the odd aubrey plaza episode was exceptional Yes, and I thought yes. I watched it just in clips. Sometimes when you watch them in clips, you have a different experience when you watch them on the air. And I thought it was the gayest show in television that week. Yeah, you know that's yeah. and that's when they did the Megan doll and all that kind of stuff. So I, I see a lot of potential. I feel it's a rebuilding year. I, I'm, I'm warming up to the cast. I think Bowen, especially in the Audrey Plaza episode, you're right. He's playing gay characters, but he he's kind of dominating, and I, I, I'm, yes, I'm, I'm enjoying watching. He really is. Um, I do sort you know, I think that I wish that Colin Jost and Michael Che, who do so good on the weekend updates, they don't do anything else on the show. They're writers and they do that, but they don't let them do characters. And I wish they would bring out Michael Che uh, to do more characters because they really are. They're the smartest, funniest people on the show. They're so good. Idea. I love them listening. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to number two. Number two. Moon Age Daydream. This is a documentary about David Bowie uh, made by Brett Morgan, who did The Kid Stays in the Picture, Cobain, Montage of Heck, Jane, uh, the uh, Jane Goodall doc about the monkeys and I mean, the, the gorillas. Thank you. The gorillas. Um, and uh, James, have you seen it? The, I was there in the theater when the when there was the um, the the uh, what is it the trailer and everyone went bananas for the trailer and then i started seeing courtney love a lot of people going on, on social media raving about this but then when it came out it got a resounding thud from the critics and the people on social media who hated it i'm interested to see where you're going with this well thank you uh, because i sort of put off watching it because growing up Bowie was such an influential figure. It's sometimes hard to watch something about someone with whom you feel a sense of ownership, a ridiculous idea, but like, you're like, I don't want to see someone, someone else's idea of, of Bowie. And I, I, Nolan and I were like struggling to watch some movie and I was like, let's watch this instead. Cause I was like, you need to know about David Bowie. 
And I thought that this would like educate him about David Bowie. And it sort of does. I mean, it's amazing archive. And Bowie, as we know, was a sort of prince of a million different looks, kind of Gaga way before Gaga in terms of new identities and new looks. The only thing Wait, is, how can you say that without mentioning Madonna, though? How, how can you go straight All right. From Bowie okay. To you're right. But Bowie comes first, then Madonna, then Gaga, right? So Bowie is the original multi look person, right? That's the. Anyway, so I would have expected. If I were making a film, which I didn't, so maybe I'm just resentful, I would have expected something that sort of gives me some narrative insight or breaks down these different phases or like what was motivating the Thin White Duke? What was motivating Ziggy Stardust? How did it all fit into the culture? Instead, and it's visually very satisfying, instead it is, the New York Times said, it's kind of more like a seance than than an actual documentary or a biography. Everything sort of mashed together, and it is—it's unquestionably a tour de force of editing, but maddeningly, there's no real narrative. And like, and then he did this, and then he did that, and so it's all this sort of great melange of, sort of richness and um, and stuff. And I suppose, in a way, like the title says, it is kind of like a a moon age daydream, which of course was one of Bowie's. Well, it's so interesting because I remember one time having a conversation with you about doing like a, a Lee Bowery documentary, and you had said that the problem with it is, is it just becomes he did this, he had this look, he had that look, he had this look, he had that look, and then he died. And there's no real forward momentum to the narrative. There's no narrative arc. And do you think that there are just people whose lives are he did this, he did that, he did this, and then he died? Well, maybe there are, but I do think in Bowie's case, you know, he advanced uh, this idea of bisexuality at a time when it was terribly forbidden. He sort of rode this frisson in in society of like, I'm sort of decadent and daring and other at a time. I mean, he almost like, yes, he actually glamorized the idea of homosexuality. In a way that no one had really, I mean, Jean Genet had but done was it. Was it performative? Is what I always go back to with that. Indeed, but but James, you know, we live in performative times. You know, <laughs> and and what performance? What was performative then or phase? Could be a non-binary, a fluid. You know, like true. You know, true. we're all. It, it's it's all for the table. Well, Okay, interesting with Bowie though too, because I was just going to go back with if sometimes the the. the the arc isn't there for a story, then what you do with a, uh, with a biography or a biodoc bio is you zoom in on a particular moment in their life, and that's what you make it about. And a few years ago, there was a documentary about Bowie, if you recall, in which it was just it zoomed in on Bowie's first trip to America, mm-hmm. and that was the whole, the whole documentary. But they had a problem because they didn't have any um, rights to the songs, so it was a Bowie documentary without any Bowie songs, and that was the problem. But do you well, think that it would have been interesting if they had done a documentary about just that, which you were talking about, his his gay influence and all that? Well, it's funny you say that, because actually I think they could have done the phases of Bowie, and I think without any of the music, that would have been better. Because right. I actually think if you're, if you're handicapped or your hand's tied and you can't have the music, then that whole shorthand of all that he was trying to conjure with, and what he, you're obliged to explain it, and yeah. show how it related to what was going on socially. And I think that that would have actually been perhaps more successful. But look, I think you're I, right. Yeah. I love Bowie. And so I was just happy to bathe in two hours of, because he was a visualist beyond, you know, every moment was a sort of tour de force. Um, so it's more well, like. I, I wonder I, then if the litmus test is what was Nolan's reaction? Nolan got halfway through and then was like, I'm going to bed. <laughs> and it was two in the afternoon. That's the weird thing. <laughs> so I'm afraid uh, that my anticipation of, of turning Nolan onto Bowie. Isn't that, is you, of, were you a little heartbroken by that? I recognized it was a fail and that I've been, <laughs> you know, <laughs> let's take a break. Uh, House of Love is the exclusive drink of RuPaul's Drag Race just in time for your season 15 viewing parties. And we have party boxes, the all-star, the school friend, the variety box, hall of fame, all containing different combinations of four delicious cocktails. 
and two mouth-watering mocktails. You just go to houseoflovecocktails.com and order them up. One more break, and when we come back, the number one thing this week that made us go, wow. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Um, and welcome back. We've been counting down the top 10 things that made us go wow this week. I'm Fenton here with Tom and James and, of course, Blake. And we've reached number one. Number one. Number one, we're going to talk about two different people. Uh, celebrities, we're of the age, we're celebrities from our youth, from our past, who meant so much to us, are passing one after another. I wanted to take a moment to say rest in perfection to Cindy Williams, Shirley of Laverne and Shirley. It's hard to explain to somebody who wasn't alive in the 70s how important Laverne and Shirley was, how much joy they brought to the world. They were the Lou, Lucy and Ethel in the 70s. They, um, there was a warmth to their show. There was a, they were blue collar. They were outside. That theme song, Make All Our Dreams Come True, where they're beer workers, bottlers. Shamazel, Haas and Pfeffer Incorporated. We're yes. going to do it. And, and, and there's that image where they put one of their working gloves on a bottle as it flings through the plant. And they're just sitting there looking at the, make all our dreams come true. Um, I, I posted about Cindy and, you know, um, they used to love to drink Pepsi and milk. That was one of the gags on the show. But also, uh, Shirley had a boo-boo kitty, which was her stuffed kitty when everything went really yeah. wrong. And all I could think Carmine, of Carmine, the big ragoo. Yes. Cindy um, and Laverne at the time, Cindy and Penny Marshall at the time were infamous for being competitive. There were stories about how they would take the script and count the lines, um, but they made a real impact. I think they were friends later in life. She, uh, Penny, um, Cindy Williams also married Bill Hudson, who first was married to Goldie Hawn and is the father of Oliver and Kate Hudson, who's very strange from the Goldie Hawn family, but had raised another family with Cindy Williams. So to her children and those she leaves behind and to our childhood, mwah, rest in perfection. You know, it, it's, it's very sad because I was just that day mourning the loss of Lisa Loring, who played Wednesday Adams on the family, uh, on the Adams family. And that to me was so devastating because I remember it, when you were growing up, you were either a Munsters person or an Adams family person. And it, you know, the, those two shows were on at the same time, just like Bewitched and I, I Dream of Jeannie were on at the same time. So it was like dueling monsters. You had to figure out which one you were going to do. So when they said that Lisa Loring had died, that was like a, a a wound to my heart, and then just as I, I they the news said a beloved TV icon is passed, and I thought they were going to do Lisa Loring, and they said Cindy Williams, and like <gasps> like it just the idea that Cindy Williams is gone, and it's that moment when you realize that everybody from Mary Tyler Moore is gone, everybody from I Love Lucy is gone, and now almost everybody from Laverne and Shirley is you know um, Lenny is still around, yeah Lenny yes. Who, um, yeah, but just the fact that there is no more Laverne and Shirley, it's so – she was she was she was such a part of my childhood. I just I can't imagine no more Laverne and Shirley. I liked it more than the happy days. Um, yep, for yeah. sure. It was for, it was definitely the gay happy days. You know what I'm saying? It, it was because it was girls because there was another I was there was another gay boy at my school, Matthew Cox. Hi Matt. And he and I would bond over our love of soap and Laverne and Shirley. And that's how we we didn't say we were gay, but we were just Laverne and Shirley fans, wink yeah, wink. And soap, that's an excellent, excellent uh, outing mechanism back yes. then. <laughs> well, that's all we got time for this week. Um, thanks for tuning into the Wow Report on Radio Andy, Sirius XM. Previous episodes, you can get them on our YouTube channel, Wow Presents. You can not only hear us, you can see us, and there's little bits and pieces that we had to cut out, either for decency's sake or for time or what have you. Um, same time, same place next week. Until then, go out and do something that makes the world go wow. wow.